2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. I'm Michael Duncan, joined by my co-host, Comfortably Smug and John Ashbrook. You fellows, you look handsome today. Likewise. Yeah, so do you, buddy. And uh, for our listeners who aren't watching this on YouTube, that opener was California Governor Newsom in China, <laughs> where he's essentially just been simping for Xi yeah. for the past few days, uh, playing basketball with some kids in China, tackling one child and then spanking them. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> just like, another day. He ran, he ran the kid uh, over like he was using the truck stick in Madden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really incredible. I used, to, I used to do that move with Jerome Bettis back in the day. You know, um, anyway, we got a great show for y'all. Um, fellas, we are a week out from going down to Miami. That's right. I mean, it's, this is going to be a pretty huge deal. There's a lot that we have planned down there. Um, what's the URL they can they can visit? Because you just go to the uh, ruthlesspodcast.com. It'll be up there in the navigation. It just says Miami tickets. We've got um, a happy hour on uh, November 7th, yeah. the night, night before the third Republican debate. Those are always fun. Um, and then we've got uh, our college game dial, or college game day style um, um, show, you know, pre-debate show. And uh, we're going to have a watch party afterwards. Wolf's done like crazy mm -hmm. stuff with this. Mm -hmm. It's going to be in the parking lot adjacent to the uh, arena. Uh, we've got like catering and all sorts of things. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a big setup with big banners. I mean, it's going to look even bigger and better than the last one. Yeah. If I could believe it. I saw the uh, he, the mock-ups or whatever of the stage and everything. Yeah. It looks incredible. Yeah. It looks incredible. And tickets are 10 bucks. We're like yeah, giving this away. It's still the best deal <laughs> out there. Yes. They're not adjusted for inflation, those tickets. So yeah, definitely go to Ruthless Podcast, <laughs> RuthlessPodcast.com. Get your tickets if you're going to be there at the third Republican debate. Fellas, we got a, a big show, real big show. Our guest, uh, Dave McCormick, uh, you know, he's running in that critical Senate race in Pennsylvania against Bob Casey. Uh, he's going to be on the program to talk about that race and what he learned from uh, from the last last race. Um, we're going to talk about the horse race and the presidential. Mm -hmm. A lot of interesting developments there, including including a new Iowa poll. Mm. Um, we had Joe Biden in New Hampshire. Uh, that one's going to be a lot of laughs. And uh, some parents who were charged 50 bucks uh, for some unruly children. I can't wait to hear Smug's yeah, takes on that. That's going to be a great segment. Even. Oh, all right. Well, let's just get right into it, fellas. Um, what we have here is Mike Pence suspending his campaign. He is officially out. I know um, there was some talk that he might not uh, make the third debate stage. And, um, you know, Holmes had sort of alluded to that last week um, that, you know, looked like his time was running out. And it looks like he was right. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, like I said before, this field is going to start winnowing, and I think winnowing fast. I think this third debate is going to be a milestone in the sense that, number one, if you, if you can't make the stage, I think that's a very telling part of this yeah. because the metrics, they, they keep growing for each additional debate. Of You have to have more donors, and your polling numbers have to be at the point where you can make the stage. And... Uh, at this point, if, if you can't make the stage, you really got to be thinking the situation. I think the Pence campaign did that. Listen, You're saying he had the courage to do the right thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, we saw him out in Iowa, you know, really nice guy, great guy. But at the end of the day, I think he uh, realized, looking at the poll numbers and situation, that this isn't going to be his go. Which I respect. And I agree with you, Smug. I think we're at the point now with this third Republican debate. Like, if you're not making the debate stage... I think it's time, you know, to fold up shop mm -hmm. because this is a serious, serious election. Mm -hmm. The field has been very large and it makes sense that if you don't feel like you're viable, that, you know, you tip the old cap and exit stage left. Yeah, well, you know, Pence is obviously a great guy. We had him on the show a couple of times. There are a lot of people out there who really respect him. And what I'm watching for is 
is he going to endorse one of these other candidates? Mm -hmm. And if so, who? And if, you know, if he doesn't win, is he going to do it? Would it be ahead of Iowa? Would it be, you know, with some sort of like strategy uh, to defeat Trump in mind? You know, what what's the ultimate uh, next move out of him? Um, because he does carry some sway, you know, out there. And and um, and so, I you know, shame to see him. Shame to see him go, but um, it's just the way it works. Well, so on the debate stage thus far, uh, who's qualified? Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie. I think that's it. I, I think you're right. Tim Scott, Tim Scott hasn't. Maybe. We don't know. Doug Burgum, we don't know. Mike Pence just dropped out. So this field is actually, I know there's been a lot of consternation about this huge field for people who back a candidate not named Donald Trump, but it looks like it's starting to get smaller. The nice thing about that in terms of the debate is it allows for more fireworks. Yeah. It allows for more opportunities for interaction between the candidates, a more conflict. And, you know, the second debate was a little sleepy, I think a lot of people thought. Well, I, I don't think it was sleep, maybe sleepy for some, but like there was just so much crosstalk that mm-hmm. you just sort of like... You lost the thread of the conversation because people were sort of sniping back and forth at each other. Well, a smaller field is going to be less unruly. Right. And the Miami debate, I think, is going to be huge. Yeah. Well, we'll be there. Again, RuthlessPodcast.com. Get your tickets if you're going to be there. It's going to be a whale of a time. Um, All right, guys, this is the big news in the presidential race. Uh, On Monday, um, the Des Moines Register released their poll. Uh, of the Iowa caucus. Um, you know, I mean, you can you can argue about polls here or there. Hey, Emerson poll, is that really a credible poll? Or is this poll credible? And everybody has countervailing polls to reinforce the candidate that they back or whatever. I, I say that to say uh, the Des Moines Register poll is sort of seen as the gold standard yeah. in the state. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, and self, highly respected. Poll, right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just a lot of experience polling like likely caucus goers. Mm-hmm. And so when they put one out, you generally you got to take, you know, take it serious. Um, in this poll, very, very interesting. Um, Nikki Haley up to 16 percent uh, tied with Ron DeSantis in second place. Ron DeSantis also there at 16 percent. Um, Donald Trump still has a commanding lead at 43 um, but he's sort of just there, right? Where he's where he has been before. Um, for Nikki, it's it, it she was went from six to sixteen, so a ten point jump. I mean, it's it's significant. And I know last week uh, on the show, uh, she was my winner of the week after I I stole it from you, <laughs> Smash. We just had the same idea. Yeah, <laughs> and I took a lot of heat heat for that, but uh, it's right here in the poll. Yeah. Yeah. No, she she's definitely surging. Um, I don't think, though, uh, people should count Ron DeSantis out just yet. No, neither do I. Because the guy still has strength. He still has a load of money and he has a big organization inside of the state of Iowa and they have time to correct. You know, there's still still two months until the, the Iowa caucus and they've got or three months. Like, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they they have time they have time to correct. They've got resources to be able to to try to correct. He's got big moments like this Miami debate. Maybe there'll be another debate. Um it's all is not lost for for Ronnie. D. No, and also I think the other thing, you know, looking into this poll that DeSantis has going for himself is the crossover appeal between, you know, MAGA Trump voters who like him mm-hmm. and non-Trump voters. He kind of has a foot in both camps. Um, and you know, that allows him to add to the electoral math, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got half the party who wants to vote for somebody other than Donald Trump, but it's very hard for one person to get 50 plus one, mm-hmm. you know, if they're only appealing to the non-Trump electorate and Ron DeSantis doesn't, he's got that going for him. Nikki Haley though, has been gaining with moderates independents who although it's a semi-closed caucus in iowa independent voters can register at the caucus location on the night of the caucus so there will be independents who show up and vote in this caucus and that's a little more unpredictable and can you rely on you know independents to actually turn out if it's 
you know, sub-zero temperatures in, <laughs> in Iowa. And it's a, you know, it can be a long night. A lot of people can't just like show up at a caucus at 6.30 p.m. Um, but it's something. And the other thing for Nikki is it gets a lot easier after Iowa mm-hmm. for her. For DeSantis, like the stakes are, are super high because of the nature of the electorate in Iowa. And a caucus you would think would benefit him as a more conservative uh, candidate in this field. But like New Hampshire, much different voter profile there, mm-hmm. right? South Carolina is her home state. Right. So she could definitely pick up some early momentum if she finishes strong in in the state of Iowa. I just think, you know, DeSantis is still very organized, as I was saying earlier, but you know who else is really organized in Iowa is Trump. I mean, he's got resources. He's got a team on the ground who's taking it very seriously. This is much different this time around for Team Trump than it was in 2016 when they basically had, like, one guy in the state and Trump, you know, giving people helicopter rides. They've got a full field team. So it's not like they're just looking at the poll numbers this morning and saying, oh, we want it. Let's move on to something else. You know, they're working it, too. And I think that... um, that's the kind of organization, you know, obviously that you need if you're going to be able to succeed in a state like Iowa, where everything is so personal and everybody's met a candidate at least once or twice. And I mean, you know, this smug. We- yeah. I mean, that is one thing that, you know, voters in Iowa have going for them is there's a good chance they've met like every candidate. Like they, the, the voters in Iowa are famous for demanding FaceTime from candidates and they get it. So they're kind of like spoiled for riches in the sense that by the time they show up to a caucus, they've probably met every candidate face-to-face. And if they wanted to, they could ask them their questions. So, you know, they are extremely well-informed on where they can't stand. In this poll, though, I was looking at the crosstabs, and there's a lot of very interesting numbers that don't immediately jump out at you. For one is uh, Ramaswamy's Iowa fade that some folks, have, you know, there's been a little bit of chatter about what's his situation in Iowa. Mm-hmm. There's no change in overall support since the summer. He's mm-hmm. at 4%, but his negatives are way up from 20 to 37, so almost doubled. It's wow. the biggest jump among any GOP candidates. And for reference in the comparison, other candidates, they haven't gotten like less popular anywhere near in that sense. Yeah, so. DeSantis is the most popular still. He's at 69 fave, 26 unfave. Trump is 66, 32. And, and Ramaswamy's at 43, 37. And you saw Nikki Haley's net favorable went from plus 37 in August to it's plus 43 now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 59, 29. I think it says here, Kornacki had a whole treat, uh, tweet thread on, on the poll. It's it's fascinating. And it also explains in in the second debate, you saw Ramaswamy sort of took a different tact, right? Because mm. in debate one, he was attacking everybody. And clearly, like, they did some sort of brush fire survey after the first debate. And they found out, oh, people might not have liked the flamethrower approach. And so he tried to be a little bit nicer to everyone in the second debate. I'm curious what what he turns out in the third debate. And also, he's now at 9% of voters list him as their second choice. Mm. So the dynamic is shifting. It's like, you know, under the surface, things that you don't necessarily see or take away if you're just looking at the top lines, this is still a dynamic race. There's still a lot going on. I think you look at how Haley has surged in the polls. Uh, Tim Scott's dropped in the polls and his campaign, I believe it was last week, maybe Friday, they announced that they're moving their operation to Iowa. They're just going to camp out there. Yeah. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that too, because uh, you know, the stakes have really gone up for Iowa. Mm. Yeah. Well, good numbers for DeSantis in here. Good numbers for Nikki in here. Very interesting to say. I totally agree with you, Smug. It is still very fluid. If you go back and look at the 2016 caucus polls at this point, it wasn't in close to the final result. So, and I like how you're saying nice things about DeSantis because his followers have been owning you and ratioing you. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, uh, some of those folks so on DeSantis Twitter folks go at Duncan ten times harder. It's working. It's clearly working. There's just what, what I'll say for our, our our listeners: observing objective reality that Nikki Haley improved by ten points is is not a commentary on your candidate. It is not a slight to you personally. Duncan's still attacking all the DeSantis followers that are listening. Go on Twitter, ratio him some more. People need to get thicker skin about this stuff. Um, Yeah, well, it's been fun. Very, very fun. Um, Okay, so we got Joe Biden's big New Hampshire blunder. I'm really liking this. This is from Politico. By scrapping Iowa... 
demoting New Hampshire from its first in the nation perch and moving up South Carolina to begin the balloting, President Joe Biden was hoping to preempt a nuisance primary challenge that could embarrass him before the general election. But that may be precisely what he has invited upon himself. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. While Iowa has gone quietly, New Hampshire has unsurprisingly refused to cede its cherished role, greeting the demand about as favorably as they would a request to give up the Red Sox or concede the inferiority of Dunkin' Coffee. Yeah, I mean, that's like religion. Dunkin' Donuts is like religion in those parts. Oh, it says more from the article. New Hampshire's intransigence was entirely predictable and Biden should have known as much. Yet he led his animus towards Iowa or New Hampshire, where he never gained traction in his three presidential bids. Oh, this is brutal. Yeah, they're calling it out. And his desire to reward South Carolina, which vaulted him to the White House, steer his thinking. Yeah. I mean, this also, like, I still believe it is insanely sketchy the way that he took South Carolina. I was there I was there on the ground mm. when, when these were going down because I would, you know, hop over to wherever... Uh, the Coxes were going yeah. down wherever the primaries were going down for the Dems. So I remember I was in South Carolina. I love that you did that, by the way. You just like show up to troll IRL. Yeah, had to do it. Um, but the way that he essentially must have brokered some deal, because remember, Pete, in a, uh, Mayor Pete, in a very sketchy circumstance, took Iowa. You know, they're all all these receipts came out afterwards that the Bernie supporters brought out of like, hey, this firm that's got ties to Pete was like running the caucus <laughs> and then Pete ends up winning the caucus and he, he took New Hampshire as well. Well, and they also had um, and then and all so, those bugs and, and, and problems with the reporting of the Iowa results. Yeah. And so people like put on their tinfoil hats and they're like, it's rigged for Pete. And then uh, somehow he gets to South Carolina and uh, it was Clyburn, right? Mm-hmm. It is Clyburn, South Carolina, who essentially uh, cuts a deal with Biden to be like, okay, I'm going to mobilize my supporters for you. And then Biden wins South Carolina, and then essentially every other candidate drops and endorses Biden. So some deals were made. I don't know if Mayor Pete was like, you know what? I won a caucus in a primary. I'll settle for transportation secretary. Yeah. You know, like some deal was made. Um, but you're seeing right now, you know, essentially the Biden campaign trying to elevate South Carolina as like a, a thank you. Yeah. Like, thanks for for hooking this up in the first place. But it's not working out as planned. And I think, you know, now that well, I can't remember the name of that guy. There's another Democrat who's now uh, Dean Phillips, Dean Phillips. Yeah. Who's primary. Oh, he's I, got Steve Schmidt running his campaign. I read an article. <laughs> so so this guy is like uh, uh, he built the Talenti gelato empire. Like, what? That's this guy's claim to fame. So, I mean, that's a good story. You know, if he rolls up and starts handing out Talenti's, you know, who kn- that would, I think that would help anybody pull better if you show up with that. But he's apparently like uh, he's positioning himself as like a moderate who's like 50 years younger than Biden. Yeah. And I mean, he's he had a really great quote. I remember reading where he said, you know, in private, every Democrat elected official says Joe Biden is way too old. This is going to be a significant problem. And he says, but none of them have the courage to say that in public. And he says, this is a huge danger for our party that like Joe Biden is not fit for the job. He's way too old. He'll get crushed in a campaign. Age will be a huge issue. So, you know, yeah, I guess kudos that's... to him for bringing up that ex- exceptionally, like, you know, it's a serious point. It's a huge problem that's going for Joe Biden. Tough message coming from within. Yeah. Yeah. But and once you start to give that a little oxygen that's from the their side, mm-hmm. you know, then it is a permission structure for reporters to continue to write about yep. it. Yep. You know? That, and so you can understand why I'm sure there's a lot of people in the Democrat establishment that support Joe Biden that are very angry about this. Yeah. And and it, there's no chance that Kamala Harris's camp is out there fanning the flames. <laughs> Juice, did you see her on 60 Minutes, by the way? Uh, no. You didn't miss anything. You, you, did, you, did, you didn't miss anything. She was talking about how the border is Republicans' problem. Oh. <laughs> I mean, can Classic. you imagine? Classic. Oh, well, that's not the only problem for Joe Biden here. We've got from Axios, Biden's 1979 moment. This is from Kroshauer. On the foreign policy front, President Biden's reelection bid is playing out similarly to that of the last Democratic president who failed to win a second term, Jimmy Carter. Three Mm. destabilizing overseas crises have taken place during Biden's presidency. The chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and now the prospect of a regional war in the Middle East. Wow. And I I would be remiss if I didn't bring up again 
it's Jake. What's his What's his uh, NSA guy? Sullivan. Sullivan. Yeah. I always want to make sure I don't go after the wrong Jake. It's Jake Sullivan, <laughs> who who was very happy in an interview like a week before the terrorist attacks in Israel to be like, listen, the fact is we're doing a great job. Uh, the Middle East has never been so peaceful, and I don't spend much time, honestly, thinking about the Middle East. And then instantly you see the results of their foreign policy of essentially coddling Iran. Yeah. Right? And, you know, patting themselves on the back that, hey, look, we're, we've got a much better foreign policy than the Trump administration. It became abundantly clear for everyone that is absolutely not true. And and like they said, the the, the triple whammy of like, you know, the Afghanistan withdrawal remains an incredibly tragic chapter in this country's history that did not have to happen. That yeah. did not have to happen. We didn't have to lose 13 service members. None of it had to happen like that, except this administration wanted to be able to say, September 11th, look at us. We withdrew from Afghanistan. We're going to spike the football. The adults are back in charge. Every single opportunity that they've had to make any kind of a stand on foreign policy has led to disaster because inherently their policies are a disaster. Hmm. Well, the, the parallels to Jimmy Carter here are really interesting, more from the article. Carter's demise was fueled by the 1979 Iranian revolution that ousted the pro-American Shah for an Islamic fundamentalist regime still in power today. The Iranians, Iranian regime holding of dozens of American hostages dominated the headlines and drained Carter's political capital through his re-election campaign. Hmm. Oh, what does that sound like? American yeah. hostages being held by Iranian proxies. Yeah, not good. And then you add on top of that the economic anxiety that everybody's yeah. feeling here at home. You've got inflation, terrible foreign policy, a very weak president. Yeah. It kind of sounds like it 1979. Sounds, it sounds like pretty familiar, <laughs> and, right? And, and a Kennedy rising up to take his vote here. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and we laughed and we laughed. Oh, man. Um, so another article here, uh, Biden's Horror Shows, again from Axios and Jim Van High and Mike Allen. President Biden's White House is stuck in a split-screen reality, spiraling war threats overseas and spiraling political problems at home. Both are horror shows for re-election. Mm. Top officials believe Biden has been at his best in managing the early days of the Israeli-Hamas war, but they privately concede things have never been worse politically since the 80-year-old took office. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing that in polling numbers. His numbers continue to go down. Yeah, he's like 35% approval rating. <laughs> the majority of Americans don't approve of the job that he's doing. The majority of his own party doesn't want him to be the nominee. And I think it's becoming increasingly clear not just on, on foreign issues, which are a, a huge, huge problem for him, given his disastrous uh, foreign policy, but domestically, Americans are becoming increasingly vocal about how terrible this economic situation has become for Americans, where, uh, you know, they this administration first claimed that inflation doesn't exist, and they said, oh, it's just, it's going to be quick, it's just going to pass, and then they tried for a very short while actually inflation is a good thing. Yeah, right. And now they're essentially just trying to say, hey, guys, the economy is great. Like when they rolled out the Bidenomics messaging, mm -hmm. it shows how incompetent the team is over there right. to right. try and take responsibility for what every American yeah. would describe as a disaster. <laughs> put, right. put, put your name on the least... Uh, the least successful thing in your presidency. It's unbelievable. And yeah. whenever you say inflation, they, they come back with, oh, well, if you look at just a small percentage point difference, and by the way, the, the, the growth is slowing. <laughs> and that just sounds so like tone deaf to Americans who are paying three times more for groceries today than they were last year at this time. Totally tone deaf on inflation in the economy. But the other issue that is sneaking up on him it is a domestic problem that's getting worse in this country is the border. Mm -hmm. If you look at the polling on the border, 57% of Americans, they want a wall. They want tighter security. And everybody is freaked out about Hamas lurking amongst us. And that, that includes Democrats who are now in these blue cities for the first time facing the kind of uh, problems with, with immigration and with the border that these Texas border towns yep. have faced for the last 20 years. Yeah, they say here in the article, <clears throat> Biden is getting crushed on his handling of, the, of immigration, crime, and inflation, none of which will likely turn around in time to put a new spring in his step. It's not death by one issue, but by half a dozen hitting at once. Quote, the load-bearing wall breaks when Biden official conceded. Many of Biden's own voters don't want him to run, 
Um, he hit a, a, a new low in a poll last week with his own supporters. Mm. And top Biden backers worry their one trip or stumble or brain glitch away from another round of Biden's too old hand wringing. I disagree with them on that point because we get a brain glitch and a stumble. And <laughs> we get that every day. And I, I think he's, I, I mean, we all think he's beatable. But um, they just the media doesn't cover it for him the same way they would us. Hmm. Yeah, I I hear you. Um, can we get to the really fun story? We can. I, I'm just. I <laughs> waited so patiently. I, I yes, you have been patient, and you need to be rewarded. I'm just. I'm worried what you're going to say about this one. I okay. can't. I can't. I've cannot wait. I've had a long time to think on it. This, so so you sent this. Can I just say yeah. you sent this around in the Slack yeah. ahead of time. Yep. So you know that Smug saw it, and he's like, so, ding, ding, ding. Again, yeah. our listeners, the Minions, are the best people on Earth, and they tagged me multiple times on Twitter when this story dropped. And so it was as soon as it was on my radar, I threw it in the Slack, and I was like, folks, this is going to be the centerpiece so, of our show. So this is from the Daily Mail. Um, Mom slams Georgia restaurant after charging her $50 for being, quote, unable to parent her badly behaved children. Whose side are you on? Yeah, yeah. So this, I, I want to read the bullets because yeah. they're they very critical. It says, a couple was left stunned and now venting after a Georgia restaurant added a $50 quote unable to parent surcharge to their bill over their loud children's alleged uh, bad behavior. This is what's important. So the parents are trying to tell their side of the story. And what's the first thing that they say? They say, well, we showed up, we handed our kids an iPad no, they don't say that in the they, story, do look, they? They say tablet right there. Oh, wow. So there you have it, folks. Yeah. There you have it. These are iPad parents. They've outsourced raising their child to the iPad. And God bless this restaurant. for Because, you know, part of going to a restaurant is you want to enjoy a meal. You're having it with your loved ones. You know, having a nice ambiance. You're paying good money. You're paying for the service. There's a reason you didn't order in is because you want to go out and have a good time. And so a lot of these parents, the iPad parents yeah. who have outsourced parenting their children to the iPad think that the world like owes them something of like, oh, wow, I did the, the hard part of having a child. Why can't the public do the job <laughs> of actually raising my kids and putting up with like me being a horrible parent? So, you know, God bless this restaurant for taking a stand. I think this should, you know, hopefully this is a movement coast to coast. $50 surcharge if your kids act up or stay home. If you don't want to pay the surcharge, stay home. But there, you know, someone, because there's zero accountability from these parents to their kids. So then hold the parents accountable because somebody's got to be accountable. The loss of that is why this country is where it is. Smash. Uh, you know, I can't say I disagree with him. You know, if you, if you have a restaurant and you want to preserve the ambiance and something is disrupting it, whether it's a kid or a millennial, mm -hmm. I think you should have every right to either throw them out or charge them extra. I think the restaurant owner actually handled it in you know, a, a good way. It says here from the article, after dessert, some of some of the parents took their children down to the water. I guess it's a restaurant with like a patio area down to like a river or something. And that's when restaurant owner Tim Richter approached and informed them that they would have this additional charge. <laughs> and it reads, adult surcharge for adults unable to parent. <laughs> I mean, bold. Here's the thing, guys, because, you know, you guys are expecting me to sit here and every, defend every, the parents. Okay. Yeah, I was, every restaurant is not the same. Yeah. Every restaurant is not the same. Um, I think there should be amendments to this rule. I think, okay, Smug's already shaking his head. No. If you're on audio, you, Smug is, is, is furious. You, you have to draw the line in no, the sand. No, no, if, no. if you go in and eat dinner at Chick-fil-A, you're going to expect that kids are acting up. That's just what you get when Chick-fil-A. Well, I'm sorry, but Chick-fil-A is not it's Chick-fil-A is not Chick-fil-A is like a restaurant. It's not where people shave can outsource their parenting. What, what's the place that you, that you want to go to? <laughs> Chick-fil-A is a place that you go, you have a bite to eat, but it's not where you unleash your children because you can't raise them. Okay, okay. That's just not I, I just want I want two amendments. Smug, can you tell me if I'm off base? Okay. Amendment number one, restaurants by the highway when you're on a long road trip. Like if I go to a Cracker Barrel with my family, I'm going to do the best I can, but... If the kids have been in the car for six hours, it's touch and go the whole time. So there has to be a little bit of grace there. The other, airport. Airport restaurants, we're doing the best we can. The kids don't want to be there. It's tough. 
Can you agree with those amendments? No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's the just insane. The kids have missed their nap. They're, 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 they don't know where they are. They're confused. They're hungry. There's no excuse. There's I don't, no I don't excuse. see how there's an excuse for any of this. I can't uh, wait so, for you to have kids. Here's the thing is, I see everyone asks, like, how would you have any expertise on this? Because I remember being the kid whose parents said, you'll get mm -hmm. smacked if you act up. Right. It's a very simple situation. Yeah. Actions have consequences. Physical violence. Make sure the kids understand <laughs> there's consequences. Well, you know? Well, here's the other thing, though. Because we took we took road trips all across this country. You know, a bunch of kids, grandparents and parents in a minivan going all across this country. We went to uh, Philadelphia. We saw Liberty Bell. You name yeah, it. I know. We I, went everywhere. I know. You and remember kids, that from when you were like 11. I'm and, sure you're better behaved. But when you no, were no, three, we're, we're, you, talk, we're, we're talking you, like five, six. Oh, okay. we're, 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 we're little lot, kids. Yeah, a lot of memories of that. And, and you know, well, they, 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 they camcorded all of this. I, I, you know, we have oodles of video of us going across this country. I'd like to get a and, hand. And one thing can that we you, get some of that video? Absolutely. And one thing you always see is well-behaved children. Because we grew up in a house where actions have consequences. Okay. One thing I've finally I want to get in on this because I normally would defend the parents but if this happened to me at a restaurant I would be mortified mortified I certainly wouldn't go public <laughs> and talk about how unfair it was to me yeah. it would be so embarrassing I would never go back to the restaurant even if I disagreed with them I wouldn't like post about it on Facebook or or tell uh, you know, the Daily Mail, how wronged I was, I would be mortified. My wife would be mortified. So the fact that they went public and thought people would come to their defense tells you everything you need to know, right? Yep. That they were sort of blissfully unaware of what their children were doing. They don't read the social cues yep. of how you're exactly. supposed to act. And you cer they certainly couldn't read the social cue that is that you should be embarrassed, even if you don't think it was deserved. The fact that you went public is real cringe. Well, they were counting. They're like, "There's, we are legion." The iPad parents. They they were thinking that there'd be an outpouring <laughs> support of like, "Hey, we're we're responsible parents too." How dare this restaurant hold us accountable? And they made the wrong calculation because everything I've seen online has people been like, "Good, thank God." I wish every restaurant I went to had this. And that's the thing is, it's time to take a stand. It's time for accountability in this country. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Oh, uh, I'm with you, but begrudgingly, because I know you're enjoying this too much. Um, okay, so last time we talked, um, the the long national nightmare was finally over. We have a new speaker, Mike Johnson. Um, I know he's been out there, been doing some media, been meeting with people. Sounds like he's off to a pretty good start. Yeah, you know, he, he really is. The guy is very well-spoken. He's building relationships that he didn't have before uh, he ran. Hearing a lot of good feedback from Republicans in the House conference who are happy, A, to have a speaker, but B, pleased with their choice. And, you know, he's doing a lot of things early to address concerns. Like people were like, well, he didn't raise very much money. And how's he going to raise money for Republicans? Well, he's teamed up with a ton of people in the conference, including, you know, CLF and others to make sure that Republicans get the money they need for these tough elections. Yeah, you know? I, I saw he was already he did a fundraising swing out in Las Vegas already. I know he's been sending a lot of texts and stuff trying to raise money. And I mean, look, we got to defend a lot of seats a lot of purple seats yeah you know we've got some um you know redder seats that don't have the funding that they need and so we just can't have a like a blip here in the fundraising when you're up against the democrats who do so mm -hmm. much especially online he actually had uh set a record for one day small dollar fundraising i don't know if you guys saw this nice. one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars small dollar the first day that he that he was speaker so he's he's already addressing some of those concerns that people have had. And I think that we're going to see see more out of him um, in the days to come. They just rolled out this Israel uh, funding package that's paid for by eliminating some of these new IRS yes. agents. I don't know if Democrats are going to go for it, but it like it, it, it puts a puts a flag down. Well, it puts a flag down and it, it's it, it's a wedge on them, which, you know, rhetorically, politically, at least is really strong. Yeah. Like, who do you care more about? Mm -hmm. Like defending Israel from terror or getting some bureaucrat to audit people for their Venmo charges. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You got to like that message. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's a great contrast. Okay. So it is Halloween fellas. It's an important holiday. I feel like I've already celebrated Halloween all last weekend. We did, I mean, my kids got like 
they both have like three costumes. It's incredible. <laughs> um, but we've got a great segment here from M- uh, MSN.com. Why are some people so afraid of clowns? <laughs> so, from the article, for 15 years, psychology professor Philip John Tyson has been teaching classes on phobias. At the start of every semester, he asked his students the same question. What are you afraid of? Students routinely cited spiders, snakes, and claustrophobic spaces, but consistent minority would say that they were terrified of clowns. He wanted to know why. Tyson and his colleagues began researching, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, phobia, uh, or fear of clowns. Although the prevalence of clown phobia isn't clear, one recent survey... One recent survey in the United States found that about 5% of population said they were afraid or very afraid of clowns. What do we draw from this, fellas? First of all, you know, I didn't know this is a real phobia because it's nothing that the press has accused conservatives of. We're every other kind of phobic. I've never yeah. heard clown phobic, but that's a new one. I think this is made up. This is made up. No one's afraid of clowns. People do that. Shit. They say that for attention. Like, oh, wow, you know, I'm afraid of clowns. No, you're not. No one's afraid of clowns. You just want attention. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the bottom line. Is like they're like, well, you know what? Maybe uh, I can. Uh, I don't have anything interesting going for me. I can create a personality. I'll just say I'm afraid of clowns. Really? And that's what it is. Yeah. Who's afraid of clowns? No one's afraid of clowns. Okay. Um, did you when you guys were, I don't know, middle school or whatever, like, go to Blockbuster and try to like rent R-rated like horror movies and stuff? Did you, you, did you ever you, watch it? No. I was going to say, are you talking about Killer Clowns from Outer Space? No, no. I'm thinking about <laughs> that was a Stephen King's It. I mean, that's a clown people are afraid of. Killer Clowns from Outer Space, excellent film. Tons of clowns catch it in that movie. I'm, I'm, I've am i never seen Killer Clowns from Outer Space, so I'm going to add that to my yeah. queue. Oh, it's a classic. <laughs> but, but Stephen King's It, Pennywise, that's yeah. a clown that people are afraid of. I mean, I, I, I kind of get it. Like, I think what people don't like about clowns is like, like clowns are like false you know like they have a smile made on their face but they're not actually smiling and so like there's just something unsettling about that mm-hmm. i mean uh, i'll say that they're a little weird i don't really trust anybody who puts on makeup and wants to hang out with kids like that instantly so it sounds like you are scared of clowns i wouldn't say scared i think they're weirdos but like people who are like oh like it's a rorschach test like if you show them a picture of a clown they're terrified i think that's made up i don't know man that's what about up. john wayne gacy he was a clown and he was a serial killer. That's the thing is, you know, you're not afraid of him because he dressed as a clown. You're scared of him because he killed people. That's the thing. Huh. Okay. Well, made up. It's made up. No, no, no. Hear, hear more from the article. One, one of the most surprising uh, findings is that for many people, having a, quote, scary personal experience with a clown wasn't a main contributor to the fear. Tyson said, instead, people said that they were creeped out by clowns because you can never really know what a crown, clown is thinking. Oh, to your point. To my point. Yeah. It, it, it can be difficult to know what's really going on in the mind of a clown with a painted on smile or frown. See? It can be difficult to know what's going on in the mind of a clown. <laughs> I mean, again, these are people way overthinking. It's a clown. I don't know, Instead man. They juggle and sing and dance. I get it. The big re- more, the big red nose, the egg head, the puffs of neo uh, neon colored hair. People seem to be scared of beings that look nearly human, but not exactly. In the same way, some people find baby dolls or aliens or robots disturbing. You're scared of robots. Well, I think they're going to kill us all. Yeah. I mean, that's a good reason. Like they're trying to take everyone's jobs and they want to kill us all. But that's cl- that's like a known fact. It's the, very apparent. I think context matters here, right? Because people walk into McDonald's and sit next to Ronald McDonald every day. He doesn't scare them. They just buy the hamburgers and walk out, you know? <laughs> people, have you ever watched the Bozo show on WGN? Yeah. I'm dating myself here, but people wanted to see what happened at the grand prize game. You yeah. Know? They but, weren't scared of Bozo. That like was the ball. Come through and kill him. Wasn't it the balls? You had to throw balls in. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, and six. And and there were get... like six buckets. Each one was further away. And I remember like the last bucket had a $100 bill in it. Yeah. Nice, crisp $100. One, bill. like, crisp like yeah. straight off the printing press yep. and i remember being a kid and that was like the coolest thing yeah what you could do with a hundred dollars you mm-hmm. thought you could do anything it was, yeah. not, it was training kiss for beer pong yeah right. <laughs> yeah that's why that's our generation to start. but i mean you could win all kind. you could win a pair of british knights you could win a vacation you could win a lot of different things uh but people weren't scared of bozo the clown they're not scared of ronald mcdonald they are scared of pennywise yeah so i think context matters yeah. insightful john ashbrook um Okay, so before we get off Halloween, what are you guys doing tonight? 
We're going to go around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We got I got uh, three kids. All of them are going to dress up. All of them have various degrees of interest in, in Halloween. Um, one of them is probably going to last about an hour. Then we'll go back to my house and hand out candy till yeah. it's gone. Nice. What about you? Smug, are you doing anything? Yeah, I, I'm not going to go. This country's already full of teenagers who wear masks every day and kill people, so... I'm not going out. I hope the doorman opens fire if any of them try to enter. (laughs) (laughs) The doorman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you live in D.C., so I don't blame you. Um, We're going to go trick-or-treating as well. My my mom is in town. Oh, that's good. um, So uh, she's going to be a witch. Okay. She's got the whole getup, you know. Um, I think my uh, four-year-old is probably going to be a dinosaur. We went a uh, little trick or treating to some events around the area uh, over the weekend. He was, uh, he was, he definitely went for the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little hot. Mm-hmm. I felt bad for the guy, <laughs> you know, because he was so excited, but clearly very uncomfortable in the dinosaur costume. But he loved it so much, he was just in there just baking, mm-hmm. absolutely sweating, <laughs> cheeks rosy, like sort of perspiration <laughs> around his hair, because because he, he had like the head, the dinosaur head, it's sort of like Velcro around, so like, you can still see his face. But it didn't look like it was breathable material, you know? <laughs> uh, so I imagine he'll be in that and we'll sort of walk around the neighborhood. You know, my youngest is almost two and has no idea really what's going on. Uh-huh. But we'll, I'm sure we'll put him in a lot of silly outfits and my wife will take a lot of pictures for, you know, Instagram and stuff. And yeah. Good time. Yeah. Good It'll time. be fun. That's going to be good. All That's, right. It's a good age for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Um, let's go ahead and get to this interview, Dave McCormick. I want to welcome to the program a, a man who's been here before. Uh, we loved having him on, and we we're glad to welcome him back. Good David to be Cormac. here. David Good to Cormac. be here, guys. Thank you. But in the flesh. Yeah. Last time I think it was remote. Well, yeah, we've come a long way since <laughs> since then. You have a studio. Yeah. We, we have a studio, and uh, and uh, this used to be our conference room, and and Wolf has really transformed it. Uh, so you know, we're glad we were able to have you you come in, and you brought something. I brought. It. Listen, I heard there was a protocol that you had to bring a, a cocktail of choice. So I thought you guys needed to be introduced to Yangling. Yeah. Yangling beer, eighteen twenty nine. Oldest brewery in the in the uh, country, eighteen twenty nine Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Yeah, this is OG Pennsylvania stuff. This is it. Yeah, this, this is the real deal. And it's a good beer. It's a good it's, beer. It's a great beer. Yeah. Yeah. When I was growing up, there was Yangling, uh, there was um, uh, Rolling Rock, mm-hmm. and then there was Red, White, and Blue. Mm-hmm. Now the Red, White, and Blue, I'm not sure what's happened to Red, White, and Blue, but <laughs> Yangling and Rolling Rock <laughs> have become dominant brands. Yeah, going strong. Yeah, right. Going strong. Smug, Smug, why don't you make yourself useful and hand me one of those? Honestly, I was like, I was thinking about cracking one of these. I haven't had them since like college. They're excellent beers. Duncan? I mean, I'm still on my coffee, but God. Okay, (laughs) come on, let's do it. You got to do this. And you think, think, think Pennsylvania. Yeah, sure. Think battleground state when you're drinking this. That's right. And and to actually winning a Pennsylvania Senate seat, really excited Mm. that you're going to get that done for us. Yeah, let's let's just, um, let's start there. Um. You know, you, you, you ran before in 2022. Um, wh- what would you say you, you learned from that experience and how does that inform um, your campaign now? Yeah, you know, listen, I jumped in last time because I thought the country was heading in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And last time it was it was watching what happened in Afghanistan mm-hmm. that made me want to get in the race. And, uh, you know, people said, coming in too late, you're running against this guy, Oz. Oz has 100% name ID. My wife said, uh, Dina, who I think you guys know, said, mm-hmm. uh, you know, honey, I'm sorry, but, but people think McCormick's a spice. <laughs> <laughs> They've never heard of you. And so it was a wild ride. Uh, five months. We, we joined the race January 13th, ended May 17th. And, you know, when you lose by 900 votes, there's lots of things you could do different. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, what, that's what happened uh, with me. But the thing that uh, really came through was that I loved the opportunity mm-hmm. to – go across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I love the campaigning. I'd, I'd love the opportunity to represent uh, the great people of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and be part of, of, of turning the country around. And that's the motivation. And, uh, you know, the most important thing, I think, is getting out there and, and being yourself and talking about the future, talking about ideas. I think people feel 
like the country's headed in the wrong direction. And uh, I think they're looking for leadership. And so that's uh, that's what I'm talking about, leadership and ideas. Well, one of the things that sticks out this time that makes you unique and, and Pennsylvania unique is that Republicans have gotten behind you right away. I mean, you've already been endorsed by the state party, and I think you're the first uh, non-incumbent they've ever yeah. endorsed. And you've really galvanized everybody on our side so quickly. I mean, that's got to be, you know, that's got to be a wind in your sails for this campaign. Well, it's better than the alternative, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But uh, but I do think that's true. And, I, you know, I think it's because I've spent a lot of time across our great commonwealth. And, and we saw what happened last time. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened last time was we had a very fractured party. We had a very, very tough primary. And ultimately, it put us in a position where... We lost the general election with with Mehmet Oz as our as our nominee, and we have John Fetterman mm-hmm. as our senator. And I don't think anybody in Pennsylvania or most people aren't looking at that and saying well, that was a, that was a success story. And um, and so I think the idea that as Republicans, you know, we may disagree on some things. We probably disagree on twenty percent. You mm-hmm. know, if you have any single set of Republicans in Pennsylvania saying I'm totally a hundred percent with you, then then there's a whole bunch of other people that are, are not with you. So, yeah. I'm trying to unify the party around conservative principles, conservative ideas, leadership that's going to help us win the election. Mm-hmm. And winning's important mm-hmm. because if you win, you can actually fix the country. And if you don't win, you can't. And so I've made my case. I said, listen, you're not going to agree with me on everything. I mean, heck, I don't agree with my wife on more than 80%. I think 80% would be high. And so that's the case uh, that I've made to people. And I think they believe it. Mm-hmm. I think they know that uh, when I said I'm going to stick around and try to do my part for Pennsylvania, they now see that's true. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, man, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. You'd mentioned that, you know, there is, and it's very apparent there's a real need for leadership right now in this country. And one of the areas I think it's abundantly clear is how the vast majority of this country is doing significantly worse over the past two years than for many people at any point in their lifetime that they can remember. And you have significant economic experience. What are what are the issues that you're seeing that uh, this administration and a Democrat-controlled Senate has added to this burden? Well, it's it's crazy to me when I see the president and Bob Casey running on Bidenomics yeah. and saying, hey, that's the success story, because that's not what I see. That's not what I see on the ground in Pennsylvania. And the number one issue is inflation. Mm. So if you're a working family, you know they say inflation's going down. Well, what's going down is the rate of growth of inflation, exactly. which is still high, and prices are up 20%. So if you're a working family and everything went up by 20% and your wages didn't go up by 20%, man, you're getting killed. So working families and, uh, and elders on fixed income, 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So when it used to cost 75 bucks to fill up your pickup truck, now it's 120, they are feeling it. So that's the number one issue. And you can draw a direct line from that to the overspending of of Biden. Now, as Republicans, we gotta be honest with ourselves, we gotta look at the trend line. Under Republicans and Democrats, it's been going up like this. But what happened under Biden's a hockey stick. Mm -hmm. These huge, enormous government spending programs have been the primary driver of inflation. And this is a case where, in many cases, where Bob Casey has gone 98% of the time in voting with Joe Biden. So this economic problems, uh, set of problems we have, inflation, uh, those are Joe Biden problems. That's why he's 35% in Pennsylvania, and those are Bob Casey problems. That's number one issue. Two issues I'll mention real quickly that are also big issues. Second's crime. Mm. I mean, you guys, I'm sure, saw the clips. Mm. Looting. In downtown Philadelphia, that part of Philadelphia is the most beautiful part of Philadelphia. Rittenhouse Square, Walnut Street is like the fancy street. Mm -hmm. The Apple Store has, you know, getting the windows broken and people are walking out. By the way, the new policy in Philadelphia is if you steal less than $1,000 worth of merchandise, you don't go prosecuted by the district attorney. So so there's literally, I was talking to somebody today, there's literally people calculating how much they're stealing because (laughs) if they're under $1,000, they are going to be good. So that is the direct result of a state of mind of these district attorneys, these Soros-funded attorneys yep. in, in uh, Philadelphia, it's Larry Krasner. And this is another case where I think Biden's been weak and um, and Bob Casey's been weak in terms of standing up for, for police, stand at this defund the police movement, which they now have all denying they were a part of, was a, was a big part of this cultural shift, and these terrible district attorneys. That's the second issue. Third issue in, uh, is fentanyl. Mm. So people say, you know, why, why do people in Pennsylvania care about the border? Well, there's a lot of reasons. 
It sacrifices, compromises our national security. It's creating huge economic burdens on cities around the country. You see that New York mayor going to the border. You see that mm -hmm. uh, everywhere. But in Pennsylvania, it's fentanyl. 5,000 deaths last year from fentanyl mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. In 20 years of war in Afghanistan and Iraq, we didn't have 5,000 KIAs. This is... This is epic. It's it's so huge. A hundred thousand deaths across the country. So people in Pennsylvania are saying, "Wow!" And it's not just cities. It's it's rural areas, small towns like where I grew up. This is this is a crisis. So those three issues are big deals. And and this case is where I think you can draw a straight line from Biden's bad policies and poor leadership. And this is you know one of the reasons I'm running is Bob Casey's been with Biden in on lockstep on all these problems and all these issues. Mm. Yeah. So you graduated from West Point. You, you served in the 82nd Airborne and uh, the first Gulf War. Um, boy, I mean, I have to imagine with that sort of background and experience, you know, you have an interesting perspective on all the chaos we're seeing in the Middle East today and what the Biden administration has done thus far, you know, with regard to Israel and, and Gaza. Um, what's your perspective on all that? Well, listen. When when a when a, a president is leading a country through crisis, I'm always you know I'm I'm reluctant to sort of start throwing mm -hmm. throwing stones. But um, in this case, I th I think we have to step back a bit and say, wait a second, all these things going on on in the world are they connected? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, president Biden made the case in his recent address that they're all connected. They are connected, but they're connected in a different way than he's saying. They're connected by the fact that America's adversaries think we're weak. Mm. America's adversaries think that we're not going to exercise strong leadership. And what we're seeing is the lesson we all learned when we were kids on the playground, is that the bully is gonna push you, the bully's gonna come after you when he, when he feels weakness. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, this all started with the thing I mentioned earlier with the calamitous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. That was a sign, even if you believe that we should eventually have exited our troops from Afghanistan. The way that happened, the incompetence, mm -hmm. 13 members of the armed forces killed, the leaving uh, the, the air base open. And the weapons. The weapons. For there. the Taliban. Exactly, exactly. It was madness, right? Yeah. So that was step one. That sent a message to the world, wait a second, we got, we, got, um, we got soft leadership. The second thing is Ukraine. So what happened in Ukraine is the direct result of Putin thinking that he could get away with it. Mm. And that happened in part because of Afghanistan, it happened because of the way that uh, that Biden was dealing with Nord Stream 2, the pipeline, and saying we're gonna keep the pipeline open, not hammering uh, Russia on that. And then the way that uh, Biden's responded, he sent the plane to get Zelensky as opposed to saying, no, no, we're gonna help fight against aggression. He's gotten religion on that since then. So that's the second data point. The third, of course, is is the tragic, barbaric, attack we saw against Israel. Indefensible, there's no moral equivalence about this. This is a absolute pure evil in its in its purest form. And that is uh, underwritten, that evil is underwritten by Iran. Uh, Iran is the primary funder of terrorists mm -hmm. in Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, and that's the direct result of Iran getting a lot of dough. And the reason they got the money is because of the plan that uh, Obama put forward and then Biden subsequently put forward, and it's a softness and not realizing that you can't negotiate with terrorists. And so as a consequence of that, we have these terrorist wings around the world yeah. that, that, that are gonna do great damage. And so I think you have to start with that. That's why we're living in the world we're in. And now that we're confronted with terrible crisis, we have to stand by Israel um, and let the Israelis are both, I, I, know, I know a little bit about the Israeli military, I've, uh, serve with them side by side to 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 a small degree. This is an incredibly competent military force. They know best how to do what's required. It's our job to stand by and help them do that. So you've got a tremendous amount of expertise in the economy. You actually serve this country in the military. You've got a tremendous amount of expertise in national security and what's going on in the Middle East foreign policy. You have you've you've got what people 
are looking for right now in this day, uh, in this for this cycle. You're running against a guy who has been there forever, who comes from a family who's been there forever. He's got a brother who's a lobbyist for some company that has connections to China. He's got a sister who was taken $500,000 from the campaign. He, his, his family and his entrenchment looks an awful lot like Joe Biden's, which is mm-hmm. something people are not wild about in this day and age. Joe Biden's own super PAC this morning or yesterday put out a poll that showed that the presidential race in Pennsylvania is neck and neck. So you've got a chance to win against Bob Casey. We've always said on this show that Bob Casey's lived a charmed life. He's run in easy cycles, good cycles for Democrats. Welcome to 2024 and (laughs) Dave McCormick his worst nightmare so talk about how you're talk about how you're prosecuting the case against Bob Casey well listen I think uh, I think it's a straightforward case Um, I am saying to our voters listen this is this is a contrast this is a race between uh, a Pennsylvania kid a Pennsylvania success story um, what the the kind of opportunity we want all our kids to have? Mm-hmm. I've had a you know the only person more surprised by my success than me is my dad, mm-hmm. right? So I've I've lived a char- <laughs> I've lived a charmed life. I've I've run businesses in Pennsylvania. I've run businesses in some of the greatest companies in the world. So I've been blessed, and and the race is against a career politician who is a rubber stamp for the failed policies of Joe Biden. And so it's very simple. If you like the status quo, if you're in Pennsylvania and you like the status quo, you should vote for Bob Casey because I'm going to go to Washington uh, to shake things up. I'm going to go to Washington as someone who knows who owes no one anything mm-hmm. except the voters of Pennsylvania. I don't I'm not you know, I don't need anybody to do this other than the voters of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And if you like the failed policies of Joe Biden, vote for Bob Casey because Bob Casey's been with him 98 percent of the time. And that's the contrast. And I'm going to prosecute that case across all the different uh, issues we've talked about, the economy, uh, the the geopolitical situation and national security, the border, um, crime. I mean, these are issues that are affecting everyday Americans. And, and the statistic that should, I mean, it, it, I, I can't believe it when I hear it, but there's three numbers that I keep in my mind that uh, are constant reminders. 80% of Americans, this is Pennsylvanians too, think the country's headed in the wrong direction. Mm. Two-thirds of them think their kids are going to be less well-off than they are. Mm. So that is the American dream. That's the definition. Yeah. And then 60% live in paycheck to paycheck. So it isn't working mm-hmm. for most Americans. And I'm, I'm someone who's been blessed. I know that. But I'm also someone who started, uh, you know, uh, bailing hay and, and playing football at Bloomsburg High School. So I feel very connected to these communities and very connected to these challenges and I, I want to do my part. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned, I'm glad that you mentioned where you're from. I'm glad that you mentioned the small towns in Pennsylvania. I'm from Ohio. There are a lot of similarities between Ohio and Pennsylvania. In fact, when I drive from DC back home to Ohio, I drive right through Washington, PA. Yeah, and where I was born, by the way. And, and I, to be honest with you, I this fentanyl issue, not to jump around too much, but this fentanyl issue is a real problem because it is just tearing apart small towns, mid-sized towns in these Midwestern and, and you know states like Pennsylvania. And you don't hear anything about it from the Biden administration. Yeah. You don't hear anything about it from Bob Casey. It's like they don't even know it, it exists. It's, it's insidious. And uh, you know, I learned a little bit about it. I went to the border during the last campaign. Mm-hmm. I literally was with the Border Patrol. I literally saw the cartel guys up in the hedgerow and they're sending people across the Rio Grande. I mean, it's, it's clear cut. And then what happens is uh, fentanyl is very concentrated. You can literally stick it in your pocket or you know tape it. It's, it's, it's not a lot to get it across the border. Um, it makes its way within through a very sophisticated network into the northeastern part of the country and then comes down Route 80 and Route 81 in Pennsylvania. The reason it's so insidious is that it's very concentrated and it's cheap. So what the drug uh, dealers want to do is they want to cut lots of different stuff with fentanyl. Oh, it's highly addictive. So if you think about generating revenue from them, they're cutting it into all sorts of other things. It's cheap to do that, and then it becomes much more addictive. And it's highly volatile. So you know you read all the time about kids overdosing, sometimes inadvertently not even knowing it. When I go to small communities in Pennsylvania, I almost always ask, hey, put up your hand if you've been affected either by your friend, family, friends and family, your immediate friends and family by fentanyl. Half the hands go up in the room. It's a big deal. 
and we don't have sufficient uh, border control, obviously. We don't have sufficient securing our border. It's been a disaster under Biden on multiple dimensions. But we also don't have the law enforcement to break the back of the cartel in, in America. Mm-hmm. And we also don't have the kind of facilities to help people transition mm-hmm. off of fentanyl once they become addicted. So it's a whole ecosystem problem. But the, the original sin, indisputably, is uh, is the border. And I'll say one more word on it, which just to give you the, the whole conspiracy. China mm-hmm. is the primary uh, maker of fentanyl that uh, comes to Mexico and then comes across the border. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese are behind the scenes as the arms merchant, if, if you will, mm-hmm. that's uh, making the fentanyl, which is which is really destroying uh, the fabric of America. Do, do you feel like, um, maybe not the politicians, maybe not the Democratic politicians, but the voters at least who you know vote for them, do you think they're fine in religion on this issue of border security? Because what I've noticed over the last you know year or two as as the problem has gotten worse in the Biden administration, you, now you got a lot of you know these big city mayors like New York, like Philadelphia, places where they were gung ho about making them sanctuary cities, now saying this is a problem. Yeah, you're stretching our social services. We can't take all these people into our city anymore. It's sort of flipped that narrative for a lot of these people who are traditionally on the left and haven't supported things like border security. Do you do you see that on the campaign trail? Some to somewhat, yeah. some degree, yes. I'm I'm seeing, and I think even the, the crime issue is the same. Where people are saying, "Wait a second, and this is um, this is why I'm optimistic. Yeah. So I'm I'm optimistic in general. You have to be an optimist to be a leader. I believe you have to be able to paint the vision of, but you have to confront reality. And what's happening right now is the failure of these democratic policies are becoming clear to all. So we have we have better ideas as conservatives. If you just just look, just look at the economy, look at the border. Is this working for anybody? Is this working for minority populations that the Democrats are trying to target? Crime in inner cities, who do you think that hurts the worst? Uh, uh, education systems that are crumbling? Um, you know, the, the people that can afford it send their kids to the suburb. These policies are failing and the, the, our ideas are better, whether they're economic, education, border, and, and I think that's becoming clear. Mm. And so if you have good ideas and good leadership, you can change the world, right? That's and that's what needs to happen. And and people are very pessimistic. And I listen. I'm I'm confronting all the reality. People are pessimistic. Oh, America's lost. America's never going to come back. I don't believe that. I believe that we're in decline, but that we can renew ourselves. And the way we renew ourselves is with good ideas and great leadership. And and we've done it before. It's the American tradition. We get to the edge of the cliff, and we pull ourselves back. We get to the edge of the cliff. And this is why people say, why Why do you want to run for the Senate? want to run for the Senate because a couple key people in the right places can make a big difference and get things moving in the right direction. And that's uh, that's what this is all about. Yeah, it's great to hear. I'm, I'm glad, you know, that the party in Pennsylvania is uniting behind you. It's sort of a, a big contrast to what we're seeing in this town right now in Washington, D.C., with all the infighting we're having in the House of Representatives. So, it, I mean, you know, you brought us good news. We like good news. Yeah, exactly. We like good news. Um, and I brought you Yangling. You I did. Mean, you did. <laughs> that's, that's two points for you. Um, you know, so you've been on the show before. You've answered our, our last three questions. But we have a fourth now. And, you know, we like to talk about... Um, the animal kingdom rising up. John Ashbrook here is going to ask you a very important brain teaser. So uh, Smug and I were talking about this uh, before you came in. We actually started asking these questions a while back when we saw a poll that showed that it asked everybody in England and America, what's the biggest animal you think you could take? And the British were like, I, we, maybe we could take a pigeon or something. A rat. A rat, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the Americans are like, oh, yeah, lion, definitely lion. <laughs> so, so we've been asking everybody. You mean like taking a one-on-one? Yep. Exactly. One-on-one. No weapons, nothing. No weapons. Mono a mono. No, Dave McCormick, the optimist, I'm assuming you're going to shoot for the moon here yeah. so what is the biggest animal you think you could take i think i think i could take a bear wow yeah. <laughs> I, I think i could take a bear now there's big bears and little bears but i you know i think a good medium-sized bear yeah you know i've watched those bears first of all they're lazy yeah they don't look like they're in shape uh-huh. right you know right. so i think you can go the long game with them uh-huh. and you know their their claws and their teeth are big but not that big i mean they're not like a lion or anything you know and so i think if i could get a bear right pre-hibernation or post-hibernation, you know? Oh, it was and, about time. Yeah. yeah, and I hadn't eaten much, and he hadn't eaten much, or he'd eaten a lot. A couple, couple more, couple <laughs> couple more, more yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm long on McCormick. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I like that. <laughs> great. I like answer. that a lot. Great so answer. if people want to help your campaign, where do they go? Dave McCormick, PA.com. All right. Yeah. Fantastic. Good to see you guys. Thanks Thank for having so me. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. You too. We're really, really lucky that he is our candidate in Pennsylvania. The guy is super smart, and I think he can win this time. I just like, um, you know, I like that the it's not going to be so so acrimonious there, just because we've got so much infighting going on right now in the presidential and in the Capitol. You know, it, it feels good this early that it seems like most most folks in Pennsylvania are getting behind him. You know, hopefully he'll be a well-funded campaign. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's an important state, not just uh, for the Senate, but the presidential. Mm. So um, great interview. Had a lot of fun. Um, One final thing, again, debate. Mm. We're going to be there. Big deal. If you're going to be there, get tickets. Come hang out with the fellas. It's going to be a good time. Again, Rates were not adjusted for inflation, so we're only see ten bucks. Ten bucks. We really should have gone for more. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I'm going to bring a tip jar. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, I need some beer money. Yeah, just get your tickets at ruthlesspodcast.com, uh, fellas. I think we did it. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Dave McCormick, for coming on the show. That was a great interview, and thank you so much to the minions again. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube, definitely do that. So. Until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.